Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 147. I hope everybody is having a good holiday season. Uh, thank you for bearing with us for the last couple of weeks when we've been posting minisodes instead of full episodes. Uh, it's just uh, that time of year when my co-hosts are very busy. Not everybody is lucky to have the non-job that I have. So, uh, But yeah, we don't have any, any co-hosts today. We have a guest, and this is very exciting for me. Uh, because listeners of this podcast and both of my other shows know that I'm a big Survivor fan. And uh, one thing that has been uh, coming up ever since I started watching it, and it doesn't necessarily happen every season, but it happens pretty frequently, is talking about the idea of being a Christian in the midst of a situation where lying and manipulation are expected. And so this is a conversation I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a very long time. And so uh, I finally found somebody <laughs> that said yes. Uh, and so, and thankfully, it was somebody that I was rooting for on his season. Is it because we have the same first name? I'm going to say that's 20% of it, but not all of it. But, uh, but he's here now, and he's, he has, a, uh, has had a career that is more than just Survivor. So we'll, talk, we'll save that towards uh, the end. Uh, his name is Tyler Fredrickson. Tyler, how you doing? What's up, man? The Tyler and Tyler Show. It's got a nice little ring to it. Absolutely. No TNT. question about it. Or if you're really sensitive, we can make it the, uh, the Ty and Ty Show. <sighs> I guess so. Do you At like midnight? being called Ty? From girls. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm married, but from girls, it's, like, it's sort of endearing. So I'll, I'll go with that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's for some reason, there's, only, there's like three people in the world that call me Ty and I don't have a problem with it. Um, who are the three? There's a, there's a comedian named Mike Schmidt. Oh, who that makes just, perfect sense. But, but Mike Schmidt out there, that, that comedian. <laughs> oh, that's, there. yes, yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then uh, various... Uh, uh, girls actually yeah. but this but this guy mike is such that he will shorten every name if if he can and you realize it's a term of endearment i'm a name shortener i, I, Are you? I without a doubt i'm a name shortener i call people chief chief uh i tend not to call people by their name yeah. because uh i've found uh it's it's odd when you spend time as a screenwriter as i was trying to do for a long time uh you try to write how people talk but you also have to remind the audience of what the characters' names are. So you have to have the other characters say, Tyler, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And you realize that, oh, people don't actually talk that way that often. But when you start doing that, you find it works its way into your everyday life. And I was calling people by their names more often than people were comfortable with. Uh, because you, 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 like when somebody is saying, if I'm saying, so Tyler, how, like if I'm just coming at you, it sounds. It sort of sounds like you're in it's, trouble. It's more aggressive. It's a. It's, well, a, I mean, it's, it's a. bit aggressive. How, how are the women in your life responding to being called chief? Uh, that one. It doesn't work out quite as well. Okay. Um, I think with that one, I got to stick with names because anything else might be viewed as, uh, I don't know, sexist or uh, inappropriate or something like that. So, so. all right. So chief is sexist toward the girls, but if you come at them with names, it's aggressive. But you're choosing the aggressive nature toward women. Look, I mean, you're I in trouble either way. I talk to my wife. That's, yeah, fair enough. That's there, there's a safe. All right, moving on. <laughs> but. Um, so Tyler, there's a lot of a lot of you know a lot of ground to cover. We're not just going to talk about Survivor, though we will probably spend a, ma a fair amount of time on it. Okay. Um, though I'm sure you've uh, spent plenty of time in the last uh, however many months. We'll find about a that. chance to geek out. I'm here. Let's Absolutely. Geek. So uh, where are you from? Let's let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where are you from originally? Uh, tell us about your your childhood and such. Yeah. Well, my dad uh, is two testicles. So we, I mean, we're, we're not, oh, not that, oh, not that far. I you guess if you, a, I mean, 
you know is what? that inappropriate we, we Christian, can go back we're that far that. if you okay, want yeah. you know. um, I'm from Santa Barbara I'm a okay. California boy through and through All right. so grew up in Santa Barbara left Santa Barbara went up to NorCal okay. and uh, went to Berkeley for school when I was 18 and studied up there, studied film studies. Okay. Everything in Berkeley is very theoretical. I mean, if you study architecture, you're not actually getting a hammer and nails. Yeah. Film is the same way. The UC system tends to pump most of their money as far as pr- actual physical production into UCLA. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go to UCLA. They didn't want me. I was a football player. So they, yeah. for some reason, didn't want me to come play. They were the first school to ever contact me when I was a sophomore, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. And then they kind of just sort of fizzled out and they ended up assigning somebody else my senior year. So I went up to Berkeley, which is by far the better decision and choice. Uh, hmm. I love the school. Great experience. Um, graduated really early. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I, I knew I didn't want to like putz around and, you know, in my creative writing, am I in you know, biology? What am I? No, it's film. I'm, I'm a move. I'm a, I've always just loved storytelling. And so I graduated quickly, still had eligibility left from football, decided mm-hmm. to get another master's there. At that point I was on scholarship cause I wasn't initially a walk on, got an education, a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And then kind of hung out in the, in the Bay area, lived in Oakland for five years, got married right outside of uh, graduate school. And then we, um, and I, you know, played around in the NFL for five years. It was, was seven teams in five years, mm-hmm. um, all out of Oakland decided after a while that that was exhausting. I mean, we're kind of glossing over a lot here. I'm yeah, sure yeah. we come back to stuff, yeah, but will. I was kind of exhausted through it. I was tired of getting higher and fired and higher and fired and traveling around the country and not living with my wife. Cause a lot of times I'd be living in and out of hotels with the teams or players and decided to go back and to like really focus on my next career, which was applying for graduate school, got into USC, got a producing uh, in the producing program here called the Peter Stark program, mm-hmm. moved into Pasadena, been living in Pasadena ever since. And uh, so kind of travel started in sort of central SoCal, went up to Nor, back to So, and I'm just a California boy through and through and I really love it. Yeah, I'm uh, now listeners know this, but they know that I'm I'm from the part of California that nobody's proud of being from, which is uh, the Bakersfield area, but mm-hmm. not Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. I'm outside of Bakersfield. Oh, good. Uh, I remember. Is that was, even worse? I have to assume it is uh, considering there was a I was I'm from a town called Taft, uh, which there was a movie years ago called The Best of Times starring uh, Robin Williams and Kurt Russell about some people living in Taft and they just hate their lives in Taft and they just feel this rivalry towards Bakersfield, but everybody agrees that Bakersfield's a much better place. And so that's where I'm from. Uh, And so, and then they recently shot a movie, uh, an Iranian film that I actually have not seen called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night where uh, it's, it was shot in black and white. It's very stark and it's also, uh, it's, I think the, the city that it takes place in is simply called Bad City or something like that. And apparently, there were no cities in Iran yeah, I see where this bad is enough. Right. So they shot in Taft, California. Right. And uh, so I haven't seen the movie yet, but I feel like I want to and be like, hey, that's my street or something like that. But uh, so that's where I'm from. And then I lived in Ventura for a little while as okay. well. So 805. Absolutely. Perfect. I don't remember that kind of thing. Is that a, the area code? That's Come on, dude. That's, that's, yeah, you know how athletes do it. They ride <laughs> it on their, you know shins or socks or whatever cleats come on see, see now five. now we're here already uh i don't know how how athletes do it fair enough uh my my knowledge of football mm-hmm. for example uh goes as far as um oh gosh i'm gonna say any given sunday mm-hmm. oh then, very realistic portrayal of the, of the <laughs> nfl athlete lifestyle well sure. oliver stone he's always you know he's always got a foot grounded firmly in reality actually platoon is probably that way but nothing really beyond that but um 
but yeah, uh, and then I did, I, I enjoyed Peter Berg's Friday Night Lights, and mm-hmm. I saw the first season of that, uh, and then dropped off right around the time there was a murder uh, on the show, uh, and apparently it gets better after that, but I, uh, I've not returned to it. I couldn't push through. I mean, I've got so many friends out here in LA who absolutely just swear by Friday Night Lights. Yeah. I just tried to get through four or five episodes, and I ended up just, look, I didn't grow up in Odessa. I didn't grow up in the, yeah. in the, in the Texas area. Santa Barbara is hardly known as a, as a football <laughs> sort of city, but just listening to the way that the kids were talking and like the drama and the conflict. I, mean, I understand, you know, from the storytelling standpoint, yeah. that's really exciting, but it also like, I prefer more grounded, realistic stories about like, you know, the pressures, the expectations and the stresses of, of the sport. And mm-hmm. especially as it grows in popularity, I mean, football right now, especially in the NFL is the most explosive exciting form of entertainment we have in america i mean it's beating everything else and it's just been extraordinary to watch the growth as it continues to skyrocket and for me like there's a lot of pressure that comes back on i'm sure even even tripling down to like seventh and eighth grade kids Mm -hmm. that are getting offers now to play d1 football four or five years later once they graduate from high school it's it's insane yeah and i've only been out for you know, my graduate high school in 99. So, I mean, I've only been out, you know, 15 years and to watch how the scouting, the recruiting services have even exploded even more. It's, it's rad. I mean, anyway, all really interesting stuff. I'm sure that people want to listen to right now, but well, it's, 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 it, it's interesting to remarkable. me because so I, I, my, my best friend out here is he's a, a big film guy, but he's also big into football, mm-hmm. specifically the Patriots. And so we will regularly talk and I will talk, I will tell him about survivor which he doesn't care that much about and then he'll tell me about the patriots which i don't care so much about and that's the nature of friendship is just yeah. listening to the the stupid things that your uh, that your friend says well but, you, you have the upper hand right now because survivor is actually really good right now and yeah. the patriots are kind of on a downswing that's so I've, give that's him some give him some crap like, this is a perfect <laughs> opportunity for you to get back at some stuff you may have done in the past uh yeah i mean it, it's it's when he describes like the interesting things to me, I am genuinely interested and vice versa. You know, when I describe a certain move that so-and-so made, I, he's like, Oh, you know what? That does sound pretty interesting. And then I said, so does that mean you'll watch it? He says, no, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna, I don't have the time. Um, but, uh, but I do, but I've picked up enough about football culture to be particularly interested in this movie concussion that's coming out. Are you interested in that one? Yeah, of course. And I, I, I'm curious to know if there's going to be, and maybe there already has been, and I'm not familiar with it, but I wonder if there's going to be any kind of uh, publicity pushback uh, on the part of the NFL um, against the, the film, because it certainly does not make the NFL look very good. Uh, they are basically the villains in the film. And so, I don't know. I haven't seen anything, but, uh, and I feel like, I mean, it's only, the movie's only like two and a half, three weeks away, so if, now would be the time to do it, but I guess maybe they just think... If we don't acknowledge it, maybe it'll just go away. It's not going away. They've yeah. got the biggest movie star in the world and a massive studio behind it. I mean, I think the NFL knows what's coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't speak for the NFL, but I've, I actually was up last year, um, early, early last year up in Sacramento with mm-hmm. a bunch of injured veterans, guys, not of the armed forces side, but of guys who used to play football in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies. And some of these men have chunks of knees and ankles and Achilles that are missing. Yeah. Some guys are walking with two or three. I don't know how you can have three crutches. I've seen three crutches. Guys are completely destroyed from playing in the NFL. And we were up there with even a couple of players who are recently out of retirement rather recently into retirement up there speaking uh, at the Capitol Mm -hmm. on begging congressmen and other people to kind of come alongside and sign bills to help 
to help support wounded um, players, guys who are having uh, incredible stress and traumatic issues and who are dying off very, mm-hmm. very early. Um, and, you know, obviously there's been this concussion, concussion studies that have, I mean, there's a protocol is now more than ever so rigorous and focused. And there are, are tons of lawsuits that are going on. Um, and now this movie comes out, obviously Sony's not going to do things that are boring or not of the zeitgeist. Right. And for what we do know from these, like for those who have been following the, these Sony kind of leaks that they were hacked into and all the emails that came out and, you know, destroyed a couple careers or at least, you know, transition careers, uh, on, um, you know, Scott Rudin got really hit about it. And, uh, the CEO of Sony, Sony, pa- uh, uh, Amy Pascal ended up mm-hmm. getting a pr- producing job and leaving yeah. as the president of production. Uh, these things, it's crazy to watch how even some reports came out that, that the NFL had gone in and started to kind of tinker with the script and give notes and said, hmm. pull back here. And this is maybe too much. The director apparently stands by the fact that these things didn't make, well, they yeah. didn't make a whole lot of adjustments because of it. But like yeah. the NFL knows that, it's only going to grow. And I mean, you don't watch Ty, but like most Sundays there are guys slowly crawling off the ground, yeah. you know, onto all fours, then barely standing up with trainers come rallying alongside them. Every Sunday guys are taking shots that are ridiculously scary and it makes you rethink everything. But yet our fans cheer louder. Our, yeah. our companies pay more money for ad space. More viewers tune in players get paid more and it's like the sacrifice is worth it. And I wonder, is it really? Yeah. And that's, that is the thing about the film, uh, coming out this time of year, which means it is a, it's a prestige film, which means, uh, being uncompromising in the content is an asset. If it were, if they were trying to make money in, in May or the summer months or something like that, then yes, they got to make sure that, that they're not possibly alienating an audience. And, uh, but it comes out in, you know, on Christmas day, mm-hmm. uh, same time as, as, uh, although I guess right now there's a December is quickly becoming a big blockbuster. It's well, month. it's been that for a while. You know? I mean, Titanic came out, Cameron's yeah. always targeted and obviously yeah. Cameron has done pretty well Yeah, uh, because you know, there's a lot of snow and people, you know, have yeah. breaks. There's a little movie coming out in about what, nine or 10 days called star Wars. I think that's, oh, I thought you were going to talk about sisters. Yeah. Oh, sisters <laughs> really looking forward to see what, what kind of turn dramatic turn Amy Poehler brings to that. But, um, yeah, we can talk more about Star Wars. I might get choked up just talking about it. That's how big of a fan I am about right. Star Wars. We will, so we will definitely get um, there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very, and I'm I'm actually very excited to see Concussion. And a, a number of listeners have emailed me about it who know the story better than I do, the the, the true story better than I do. And apparently, the character that Will Smith is playing, or the person that Will Smith is playing, is a very strong Christian, and and his his uh, Christian beliefs are what make him like not back down and to just keep pushing, you know, to fight for people that maybe aren't in a position to fight for themselves against, you know, the powerful and that sort of thing. And so it remains to be seen how big of a part that will play in the film itself. Um, but I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm very intrigued. So um, how do we get on there? Oh, football in general. Um, yeah, it's, it is interesting to me uh, that film was your big thing but you were pursuing football at the same time. Like, uh, was it like, what was the, and, and you were pursuing, you know, professional football. And so clearly that was the plan for the time being. And if, and if everything had worked out, you would have spent, uh, you know, several years in that. And then 
was the plan that when that was over, all right, back to film or what, what was the plan there? I mean, the plan, I never wanted to play college football. I mm -hmm. was a soccer and basketball player in high school and, and growing up my whole life. That was the thing. But, um, uh, I got asked by the, the football coach my sophomore year and he was like, look, our kicker's leaving. And you were, I was playing varsity soccer as a freshman. He's like, we knew, we know you're going to be around for another three years. Why don't you come out and try out? And I did. And I hit the ball apparently. Well, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. Kind of closing my eyes, swinging my leg. And he's like, you're good enough to be on our team. Come be on our team. And I was like, okay, great. And I just kind of kicked footballs, but mm -hmm. I started to kind of gradually fall in love with it more and more. Now I'm not one of these like perfectionist kind of like nerdy only goes off and does this little thing, single face mask, different cleat kind of kicker. Um, you're looking at me kind of like dead eye right now mean. and that's okay. But that's, you know, for kickers, listeners and, and, will understand. I'm sure in the past of where kickers have kind of been, I mean, I, I hate to say it right now, but some of the best athletes now on football teams are the kickers and the punters. Hmm. It's remarkable how athletic, how athletic these guys have come along. And, um, it anyway, um, people will probably send you emails and say that's ridiculous, but it's actually kind of true from like well-rounded all around guys. It's, it's, there's some pretty amazing, incredible athletes, but, um, you know, and I, I always wanted to be that. I'm not saying I was that, but I mm. wanted to, so I wanted to work out with a team. I wanted to play. And as I just kind of stuck with it, I found that it was something that I was good at. Mm. And you know, whether I liked it or not a ton, didn't really matter when you're good at something and people kind of are receptive to it, it's easier to stick with it. Yeah. And so I kind of st stuck with it. And next thing you know, I'm getting letters and getting recruiting, starting to get a little bit of notoriety and wow, I want to play. I want to keep this going. I want to keep playing in college. Mm -hmm. And so it was very easy to make a decision. I want to study film because I love storytelling. That's first yeah. and foremost where my heart's going to be at ultimately. But right now I'm young enough. I'm cheap enough, you know, financially, uh, at least moving transition into the NFL, a lot of expensive guys out there. And if they can find somebody who can do it for cheaper, who's healthier, who's not, doesn't have a history of injury, um, who they can kind of control a little bit more. That's always really enticing. I saw money ball. I get so, it. So, right. So, um, so that was sort of my thinking. It was like, look, well, I've, I'm young enough and healthy enough. Why don't I just try to take this as long as I can. Yeah. But I'd also go out to practice. I practice for five or six hours a day. I'd come back home to the hotel. I'd be exhausted and beat up and I'd pop in and watch like two or three Netflix. And like, for me, it was like, I'm just going to study the history of film and watch and, and absorb and just devour as much as I possibly can. And it became like sort of a part-time job to just surround myself in filmmaking from directing and, and cinematography to editing, to watching, hmm. you know, the great masters from dating back all the way into the 1800s. To, I, I wanted to be well-rounded because most people our age, they know everything from like diehard and above. Like that's really kind of it. And yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to transcend that. I really wanted to be able to talk about the history of film and where storytelling has, how, how it has changed or how it stayed the same in cinema and how that now like reflects on where Hollywood is going today. And that's actually kind of one of the real main questions I've had coming off of survivor is like, mm -hmm. do I want to be a part of this anymore? Do I want to be a part of what Hollywood's doing? Are there other avenues for yeah. people who are passionate about storytelling? I have a film nerd question for you. Bring it. So, uh, if I say old movie, okay, what decade do you think of old movie? Uh, I think twenties. Okay. I go thirties. Okay. Non film nerd people will probably go seventies and below. Yeah. You know, and that astounds me, even though anything pre 1980, I was born in 82, but anything before the 80s is a very much before I was born. And yet somehow, you know, when you're a film nerd, you're like, well, 
I mean, sound uh, is sure. the modern era, right? Yeah, uh, and it's it's very strange. So yeah, you go twenties, I go. Yeah, 40s. I, grew I know up, someone. I, I know someone who goes forties. Forties, uh, but yeah. I, I haven't. I haven't yet met any like big film nerds that will say fifties or above. Mm-hmm. They'll say forties, thirties, twenties. Yeah, I mean, I I especially got my my our our film knowledge at Berkeley was the non-sound era like that's where we kind of started yeah so i was watching all, especially a lot of european cinema which arguably a lot of it is sometimes difficult to sit through especially after lunch coming in <laughs> but i i watched a crap load can we say crap load i watched yes. a crap load of yes. Chaplin. um you know we watched a lot of dw griffith and, yeah. and we you know we got into a lot of the french existentialism and oh, yeah. german or the german existentialism and the avant like eisenstein avant-garde mm-hmm. and like french the french you know, expressionist move. I mean, it was all that kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. is, I think a, a tremendous foundation. I think it makes you appreciate editing and, and setups and acting and especially music in different ways. Once mm-hmm. you kind of see how things used to be and how people now are, are rewriting those rules or, yeah. or paying homage to it. So I, I, I love that kind of stuff. And sometimes in these, those discussions, those conversations are few and far between out here in LA because most people come out to buy and sell actors, to buy and sell movies, to just make money and either stand in the limelight of fame or be uh, either stand beside it or be in the midst of it. And, yeah. you know, and I, for me, that's never was really the heart of it. You know, I never wanted to be on a TV show. I never wanted to have credits. Yeah. I just wanted to like figure out a way to be transported back to stupid tattooing like i was when i was you know three and four and five years old watching luke skywalker grow up all right we'll go ahead and uh, use that as a transition i'm just gonna throw it out there Uh, until we finally talk about it (laughs) um so okay so you're a movie and we'll get into into uh faith stuff in a moment but uh and you know what i'm excited because um i don't think i knew that you were as much a film lover as you are um you know, when I look at the old Wikipedia page, oh, it's, the it's, old all, it's all football and survivor, Yeah, you know? Um, and so it's, uh, so this is very exciting. Uh, so I'll go ahead and ask, you know, the movies that got you to fall in love with movies, but then also some of your favorite movies now, uh, that you're an adult. So we'll start with that first question first. Uh, obviously star Wars was a big influence, uh, and helped you to fall. In love. Were there, was there anything else? Uh, a lot of Star Wars, a lot of, I mean, I'm a Lucas Amblin dork. Okay. I mean, that's sort of my speed. I mean, it was Jurassic Park. It was Private Ryan. It was, I mean, I grew up on a lot of John Wayne as well. Mm. Um, started to fall in really in love with Chaplin once I got to college. But for the most part, it was, it was Indy. It was Harrison. Okay. I mean, Harrison is my... <laughs> he's that's my bay you know does that make sense or, you know whatever i mean it, it. in the it's off-putting but yes uh it, for me it, it works uh harrison's <laughs> my bay my wife's gonna have to deal with it i mean he's been he's my hero growing up and mm-hmm. in fact i met somebody when i was like i don't know seven or six or seven years old and we used to live in a condo complex and this family moved in next to me and i was out shooting hoops by myself one afternoon and she comes out and she's the mom trying to get to know me a little bit more. And she goes, well, who's your idol? And I had rarely even heard that word. I'm like, I don't no. know who idol is. Well, some, it's somebody you want to be when you grow up. And I'm like on solo. She's like, you know what, sweetie, you need to like rethink your options and come up with somebody who's real. And I was like, but he's real in my life. He, like he's real for me. So, you know, that does speak to a thing that I, that I have thought about as I've gotten older, which is yes, Han Solo is not officially real. But he is realer to some people. To mo- I would say to many people, he is realer to many people than some historical figures, 
right? Maybe even to most historical figures. And like when you hit on, you know, that, that's the wonderful thing about art, whether it be a book or a painting or a movie or something like that. And especially if it's character based, if you do the, if you do it well, and if you realize this character well enough, it will be, it will feel like a friend. You know, I, I'm, I grew up with Star Wars. I'm, I haven't been a huge Star Wars person for probably 15 years, uh, maybe long, maybe 20 years. Um, I just started moving away from that as I got older. Um, and yet, when I saw that trailer for Force Awakens, and I saw Han and Chewie, yep. I, I mean, even like the the kid in me, it was like seeing it was like seeing an old friend. You yeah, know? and that's super. It's super melodramatic to say it, but that's genuinely how i felt and it's how a lot of people feel it's i kind of got teared up i actually talking with a couple friends because that was the day of uh not the celebration what was it was the big comic-con star wars was it that wasn't comic-con was it what was it guys it was the big star wars celebration i don't know they were doing their big thing oh i know i know what you're talking about and they were you know they were they had the panel and everybody came out it must have been it must have been the floor at comic-con and um or in the hall and they had, and they were debuting the trailer and I was just watching the live stream. Um, I typically go to comic con the last, I've been there the last couple of years and I wasn't able to go this year. And I, I called my, my wife and my dad into the room and I was texting with a bunch of guys like, it's coming, it's coming. Like three or four of my buddies were geeking out like, here it comes the trailer. And they're like, well, we want to see like what you look like when you watch. And I was like, well, why me? Well, you were just on the show. Like, this is really interesting. So I turned my camera around and I just filmed like a reaction video. And yeah. I tr- it was the fo- it, unfortunately it was too big of a file to just text or email. Yeah. So I'm like, look, I'll upload it on YouTube real quick. And you guys can take a look at it. And so I sent out the link to a couple of people. Well, I guess they forwarded it to a couple other people. Yeah. Next thing you know, like it got out on some boards and people started watching and like, we're laughing and like, you know, like cheering or giving me crap about like, that I'm a grown man crying, watching Chewie and Han say, you know, Han remarked to Chewie, they're home. Now, this is not and, a thing I say very often on the show, but screw those people. Right. That grown man thing. Yeah. Come right. On. And that old lady back in the day who said like, Han Solo's not real, get a yeah. new idol. But anyway, for those of you who are interested, this is not a plug, but I guess it sort of is, but that reaction video is somewhere on the internet. I will, I will and, find uh, it and I will post it on our it's Facebook page. pretty, pretty dorky. Don't, don't judge. <laughs> don't hate. So yeah, very excited for, for the show and we're going opening night we got great seats at a great theater in LA. Most of the shows in LA are sold out for like three or four days. So it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's uh, frustrating. I was, uh, through battleship pretension and actually more than one lesson. Uh, we get a lot of critic screenings, uh, specifically anything Marvel Disney related, which is star Wars at this point. Uh, we have a very good relationship with them. So we get invited to all those screenings and then I, so I was like, ah, I'll, I'll either go to that or I'll just see it some other time. And then I saw an announcement that uh, I think in Los Angeles, at least that there's not going to be any critic screenings. And I thought, Oh, come on guys, this is all I have. But, uh, but, and you know what? That speaks to the other thing. I'm excited for the movie. I definitely, I I definitely want to be part of that conversation, but I do not feel the sense of um, urgency that some people feel like I don't feel like I need to see that the day of now partially it's just like, I don't want to have to fight through those crowds. And, uh, I have an issue about people talking in movie theaters. And while I do think that the crowds, the crowds are going to be, you're an idiot. The crowds are going to be amazing. Just, (laughs) just look, you need to be a part of this. You need to be a part of this discussion early and quickly. Why? Because everyone's going to be talking about it. You wait two or three days. You're missing you're missing your window. That's this true. is, I'm calling it right now. This is going to be the biggest film of all time. And it's going to beat avatar. 
Um, I hope so. I don't know if two, three and four avatar are going to come out and like beat it back. It's going to beat avatar. It's going to be, have, it's going to be the largest opening weekend. It'll be over two. Um, it's going to, it's, it's gonna, definitely going to be the biggest one of the year. It's going to re Oh, for sure. It's, it's going to be the biggest one of the year after the opening weekend. And yeah. you know, as far as international and domestic are concerned, they're expecting like six. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to rewrite everything like Jurassic world will not hold it. And, and, and there's something to be said about like star Wars and Jurassic park or world in this case i mean these are the movies that you and i grew up on i, mean, I mentioned them a couple minutes ago like these are the the amblin the spielberg yeah. things that that kind of propelled my childhood and propelled my imagination into wanting to do this as a career these are the things that are coming back around so what is it about nostalgia and revisiting these places that's drawing audiences in droves it's a really interesting conversation especially from the studio side and a financier side and a storyteller side, what are the stories? And of course, Hollywood's been doing this for so many years to the point of like, it makes me want to like punch the wall, but like what, why are we reinvigorating ideas and stories? What are we, why are we rebooting everything? Why does everything need to be a franchise now? Yeah. What is it about it? And what I love about JJ is I feel like he's actually granted. There are, there are tons of toys and there are tons of kids and, and boys and women and whatever else he's trying to feed, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to feed the Kenners and the Mattels and all the other stuff. But like, what is it about JJ? I feel like he's doing it differently. Like with all the practicality and bringing back the old guard, it seems to be story first. Well, well I, I have, feel like Marvel's kind of the opposite of that. Well, here's my, what I've been thinking for the last, uh, couple years. In fact, is the reason that it's different now, as opposed to say 10 years ago is that now you have, the people that grew up with it, making it, mm-hmm. not merely seeing it. And so J.J. Abrams, now admittedly, it's not like this is, I mean, he's, he made a Mission Impossible movie, he made Super 8, he made you know Star Trek, so he's, he's going to do fine either way. But clearly this is, I mean, he was, if you watch Super 8, that's, there's Spielberg all over that thing. But like he clearly has been trying to emulate or trying to capture like the magic of the movies that he saw when he was a kid. And, and the movies that probably inspired him to get into movies. And so he understands more so than I think older directors or, or certainly more than older studio executives. He understands what, you know, part of the appeal and the appeal was, well, the characters were in the same physical space as Jabba the Hutt. That's a big deal. Well, not in episode one. Not well, it's just, or episode four, rather. I should, I should say the special edition. Yes, yeah, yes, they, indeed. Uh, but we all know what I'm talking about. That absolutely. one doesn't even count. Absolutely. You know, the, that took like 13 puppeteers or whatever it is to to get it done. Like he understood that there is a, there's an appeal to that, and he's going to try and capture that. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, he was able to look at the prequels that went so far off the rails. He's like, okay, well, now I know not merely what to do, but what not to do. Mm-hmm. And I think with Jurassic World, you had a guy who, and a lot of people don't like it, and listeners know that I'm a big fan of it. More specifically, it's strange meta commentary on itself. But, um, you know, that was also made by somebody that loved, that clearly loves Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And the last few years, there have been, there's been this odd resurgence in horror that's that and it feels very 80s with like synth score and the type of stories that they're telling and clearly it's filmmakers that grew up and falling in love with 80s horror and now they're now they have the chance to make their own version of it and so it's not merely you know on the studio side it's oh we can exploit people's nostalgia whereas on the filmmaker side it's 
we can in, we can now indulge in our own nostalgia. We actually, I can't believe I'm here. I can't wait. I'm I so think excited. There's, I think there's maybe six or seven of those directors that yeah. are doing it at that level. I think it's yeah. like the Guillermo's, the Neil Blomkamp's, the Trevaros, the Gareth yeah. Edwards, the JJ. Um, you know, and I think there are one or two of those older guys that can still kind of get in there. I mean, like Ridley Scott's still doing a good job of keeping the career going. I mean, I think maybe the best movie a movie of the year was. Fury Road. I mean, Mad Max oh, yeah. watching like George Miller come out of nowhere yeah. and bringing in his like <laughs> 87 year old DP. Uh, he's not that old, but like, you know, coming out and cranking out like something that was remarkable and felt old and felt unique and different. And, and yet had more vibrance than any other movie this year. It's tremendous. And it's like the simplest story. It's essentially one big U-turn and it's brilliant and perfect and awesome. And so there, there is some, like there is, I think there are a few, but I also would say there's a lot of people that the studios are, are still hiring that are complete hacks because they can do it really e- i mean marvel's done a pretty good job i think of incorporating some great directors who and actors for that matter who aren't really that plugged in and yet giving them another opportunity but also controlling every single step of the way oh, which yeah. sort of vanillas and waters it down like when, when you hear about it, but edgar wright who's edgar supposed to make ant man and then he mm-hmm. got removed and then you bring in Peyton Reed, who yeah. feels a little hackish, you know, yeah. and, and Peyton's known for making those types of movies and, you know, good on him. They make, you know, some good stuff. But I really, yeah. I wonder, I wonder what is Edgar Wright's, you know, what, when Edgar Wright can just be given the the keys to the kingdom, like, yeah. what does that look like? I mean, is it, is it attack the block, which I think is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, you know, what is, what does an Edgar Wright Star Wars movie look like? I, I feel like that Kathleen yeah. Kennedy, again, we're maybe going too far in the geek mode here, but like, I feel like Kathy's doing an amazing job of like giving keys to directors and really allowing them to take ownership. And before we've heard, uh, Lawrence Kasdan came out a few weeks or last week and said that like this, this second Ryan Johnson movie, mm-hmm. it's going to be like kind of the weird one. And I think there are some people who could say the same thing about the second Indiana Jones, the second about empire. Like it's kind of the darker weird one where our characters sort of get in over their heads. And this is a, this is a great, it's a great time to be alive and to be a star Wars fan. Um, (laughs) And even George came out what yesterday and said that, you know, earlier reports were like that he liked the movie. And then yesterday the, the, the main comment was he said that I think this is the movie that audiences have been waiting for, which doesn't necessarily like is not like a commanding point of approval, but it does go to show that like, I think JJ is probably getting back into something that it's going to tap into the nostalgia and the desire that all of our star Wars fans and even people who just like are sort of casual star Wars fans are going to desire. And it's going to be, it's going to be massive. And I think that also speaks to the, the last, and I, I won't necessarily talk about this, about this financially, but I'll talk about it as far as audience response and anticipation. The last time I saw something like this was Batman Begins because Joel Schumacher had so thoroughly and the and Warner Brothers had so thoroughly screwed up the Batman franchise that people are like we don't want this this is horrible and then there's a long stretch of time between Batman and Robin and Batman yeah. Begins and then when people f- first saw that very vague teaser for another Batman movie people were they couldn't be more ready for it mm-hmm. and you could tell this is going to be darker. It's going to be more yeah. realistic. It's it's going to be miles away from the Schum- the Schumacher film. So you had people that were just eager. They were hungry for this, and I think that's what happened with with the prequels as opposed to this. The prequels had burned people so badly that 
they just they need something new and i think jj abrams now has enough of a track record they're like well i liked those star trek movies i liked mission impossible 3 i liked super 8 he's the one doing the star wars movie already we're we're in a in a good heading in a good direction so i think there's a lot of anticipation there and so that combined with the brand of Star Wars. And yeah, it's going to be definitely the biggest movie of the year. And I think it could absolutely wind up being in the top 10 of all time. And maybe number one, number one right now is avatar, which I didn't like. Did you like it? Uh, hit or miss. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember anything about avatar and I saw it opening night in the theater, 3d glasses at the biggest and best screen in LA. And I don't recall really much at all. People don't talk about for, for like people talk about Titanic, which Mm -hmm. is, which avatar bumped out of the number one slot, Mm -hmm. but people talk about Titanic way more than they talk about avatar and avatar is only six years old at this point. Like you mentioned the idea that they're making sequels. I don't know anybody that cares, Yeah, you know, and I I could see those movies being maybe not. I don't think they would ever be bombs because everybody just wants to see the the latest tentpole film, but I don't think they'll ever do the type of money that avatar. I don't Well, Avatar also typed, tapped into 3d technology in a way that we have never really seen before. And people, it really was, they were doing it well. It was Jim Cameron who actually kind of really has never missed. They don't talk about a lot of surefire hits in Hollywood, but uh, it used to be Will Smith and Tom Cruise. And now it's more like Jim Cameron's kind of the only guy who's out there. I I mean, Disney is pumping. I'm a huge Disney parks freak. Um, and, and, um, we can talk more about that as well, but like Disney and especially in Florida and animal kingdom, they obviously are spending, you know, millions to make this new, um, Pandora world. And so mm-hmm. they've done their research. Like they've got to know that people are out there interested in avatar yeah. and avatar is coming back. Fox is probably going to put what I mean, I think most, most each of those movies is probably going to be in the two to 300 range. So that's a billion dollars that Fox is now writing a blank check to, yeah. to, um, to Jim for. So there's got to be interest. Like they have to have done their research. I don't know if those movies will beat the initial one, but mm-hmm. it's enough of, of like, I think that's enough of a surefire hit that Disney's going to put a billion dollars into a park. Fox is doing a billion dollars into actual production. These things are going to, it's going to, it's going to recoup and it's, yeah. it's, it's just a crazy time to be alive with these kind of huge temples. Yeah. It's so, uh, so one thing that, and we talk about it on more than one lesson pretty frequently, cause we've been going in our mini we've been going back through all the best picture winners. And when you go back far enough, when you go back like before 1995, the number one movies of the year, like, in 88, Rain Man. Mm-hmm. Rain Man mm-hmm. was the number one movie. 94, uh, Forrest Gump was the number one movie. Now, 89, obviously, it was Batman. Like, you can't, nobody could beat Batman. So, there were still instances of, of that, that, uh, oh, superhero, let's go see it. You know, uh, Superman also made a, a fair amount of money. But, you know, these best picture winners, these prestige films for grownups were huge, were huge money makers right. for what they were. Um, and it's, it's just so interesting now. If you look at the box office starting, certainly starting, I'd say starting like 2004 on, it's always sequels. It's always, or f- not even sequels, but like franchise yeah. things. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter franchise and they, yeah. you know, they always made crazy money. Um, but it is kind of a, a, a strange thing and that 
the, the days, and I don't think it's ever going to change. I think it's going to be like this forever. And it's, uh, it kind of bums me out, but at the same time, I still like these movies. I still like what Marvel's doing. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm still excited. I saw that civil war trailer and I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. here we go. Yeah. If you, if there's a way, yeah, your prestige character based driven dramas like rain man and English patient and these subjects, it's not going to happen. They may, they may win awards, but they're not going to, they're not going to capitalize the box office, but it's going to be like, who are the people that can incorporate incredible stories and incredible acting and great dramatic moments in the midst of spectacle. Yeah. Um, that's what I think Forrest Gump did. So well. I mean, Forrest Gump is, you know, a superhero film in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think, true. and I think that figuring out that people, you know, right now the buzz and all of Hollywood out here is, is star Wars going to sweep at the Oscars the way Titanic did, you know, can it win 10, you know, is the acting and all these stories, are we going to care about this girl who's coming up out of nothing to find her new identity and a, and a, and a boy who's been so confused about his identity, learning who he truly is and our old characters coming alongside them and bringing them forward. Like, is this enough to get, to get Academy voters like, you know, licking their chops. I would say no, I don't think it is, but you know, there, that's sort of going to be the new thing. It's like mm -hmm. when a big massive movie can connect on a worldwide audience, but also like have those stories at their heart, like Titanic did so well. Yeah. Um, or Lord of the Rings. I mean, all Lord three films Rings, sure. were nominated and then return of the King, like got 13 awards that year. Right. And I think a lot of those were like, sort of like, Hey, bud, we, it's for the whole series. We, we actually really like the first one, the best, but we kind of <laughs> missed it like, you know, two years ago. So here you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what excites me most. That's why I was a kid. Man, as a kid, I, again, I was a weirdo. I had pictures of like Jeff Goldblum and Val Kilmer and Harrison Ford on my bedroom wall. Like my sister would bring over her little friends and they'd be like, why does your brother have like dudes? Like where was the, I did have a Nicole Kidman picture from Batman uh, forever, but like yeah. where, like where like the chicks in bikinis. And it was like, I just, cause I, I love these, like these were like the studs of when we were growing yeah. up and you know, now we, where was I going with this? Why did I get, like, why, why am I starting talking about like dudes on my wall? Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, oh gosh, no, I don't do this often. I don't typically brain fart while talking about this kind of stuff. Um, your brain's moving fast. It's uh, it's under, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just cause at the end of the day and it's really hot in here right now in this room, but, it's a bit warm. Yes. I wish um, I was uh, not wearing a flannel. <laughs> You can take it off. I mean, you got something on underneath that. So yeah, if you got to just but now I'm all sweaty and stuff. No, thank you. Fair enough. Uh, we'll Behind the curtain, everybody. We'll come back to it. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it later, but, yeah. um, and, uh, so we should probably start moving, uh, towards other things. Um, but this has been, but the movie, the movie portion, which we can always come back to has been, uh, very fascinating, very exciting. And on the, on, on that note, uh, yeah, uh, I'll talk to you afterwards about being back on the show. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your your faith, your your beliefs, when they started, how they've manifested themselves, that sort of thing. Uh, so you are uh, a Christian. That is why you're on the show. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so when, do, when did that start? Were you raised in that or? Raised in that, raised in my parents. My, um, there, uh, there's two brothers who formed a church in Santa Barbara. My dad helped kind of help them out. And they're both the pastors of that church still, mm -hmm. uh, 30 something years later. And um, so I, I always grew up, my dad was an elder in the church. And uh, I think my mom said that on the way to preschool, when I was five years old, I was kindergarten, I was four or five years old. Uh, I asked her to pull over the van and accepted Jesus into my heart. So I, I you know, I, I don't really subscribe to any denomination whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm just more like gospel based, just right out of the Bible yeah, kind of thing. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, that's when I got all throughout high school, I was very plugged in with um, Young Life and our, mm-hmm. our our the groups at our church and um, getting into college, I got, um, I became one of the leaders of our athletes in action, which mm-hmm. is kind of a campus crusade spinoff of, um, for athletes. And we got, we got that really fired up at the time I came in, there was only about six or seven people that were meeting regularly. And by the time I left, we had meetings that were up in the forties and fifties and seventies, not that numbers matter, but like, you know, we're starting to really kind of get something going. A lot of people think like on the Berkeley liberal campus, that's insane. But yeah. like, you know, there are Christians everywhere. There are liberals everywhere. Um, not that those things can't coexist, but like, you know, just traditionally it's like, you know, one is seen as different than the other. And, you know, we just, my heart has always been for athletes. It's always been for, for the Lord, obviously. And, um, you know, now that you know I'm older and, and, you know, out in the city and out in Hollywood, you know, nothing, nothing's really changed. Like there's still those there's still those trials. There's still those temptations. There's still those struggles with dealing with people who um, don't see the world the same way you do. And, yeah. you know, and trying also to like, how do you rectify like your own sin in the midst of, you know, uh, uh, especially in Hollywood, a place where like pride and insecurity are like, they just go, they just go hand in hand. Like yeah. everyone's kind of like, doesn't know if they're going to make it. Everyone thinks they're about to be fired. Yeah. Everyone knows that their time is up. It's a ticking clock. Everyone wants to make money or be famous. And yet Christ says like, none of that really matters. Yeah. And so how do you work hard and try to be the best that you can be when a lot of it isn't really that impressive to the Lord? Um, and so trying to figure out like, yeah, what kind of career are you going to have? What kind of auteur are you going to be? What kind of artist? What kind of dad? What kind mm-hmm. of son? You know, these things are difficult, difficult questions. And I don't think they've ever been easy, you know, now or forever before. Is it, is it a thing that you have found yourself? I, I, I think everybody probably has struggled with it at some point where it's just, it's like, yes, yes, I understand that it doesn't matter officially how successful I am, the kind of husband I am, or, or, you know, obviously it's good to strive to be the best type of uh, person, but at the same time, it's just like, I recognize that I'm forgiven either way. That's all well and good, but seriously, I mean, God wants winners, right? He wants uh, good, like perfect husbands. He wants perfect filmmakers. He wants this. Sure. Like, yes, yes. We will all pay the nice lip service to the grace mm-hmm. thing, but seriously, we're all grown ups. Uh, B plus and above. Yeah. Um, yeah. God gave me gifts. Now it's time to exploit them. Exactly. <laughs> it's for your glory, Lord. I'm going to shoot people up and spit them up. I like, I like the use, ex- the use of the word exploit. <laughs> uh, but is, has that been an issue, uh, for you as well? Uh, or have, are you mostly okay with it? I'm mostly okay with it now. I mean, it's, it's been a growth thing. I mean, when I first got out here, I got an internship and this is coming, me coming out of playing in the NFL. I mean, surrounded mm-hmm. by thousands of people at our practices. Everyone wants your autograph. Um, you know, doing tons of interviews, running around, playing in the greatest stadiums in the in the in the country, in the world, in some in some places, and then all of a sudden, I'm now an intern on the Fox lot, dealing with you know, working for people that are younger than me. Yeah, and they're like, get my coffee and do this, make my copies, and it's like, wait, who are you? And, I mean, and horribly, horribly frustrated and sad and exhausted people, like. I get, I get where they're coming from. I get their plight. Like it's a tough, tough place to start out and here. And what they, you know, typically one of the ways they do it is the way that it was done to them, which is just to kind of keep other people down so that you put yourself in a power position and that you can grow through, um, 
the industry as someone seemingly valuable. Like it's, it's really disheartening and horrible cyclical problem. And, and I, at first was like, you know what, I'm just going to have fun with this. Like when somebody pops off at me, I'm going to pop off back. Like I'm a witty guy. I'm pretty smart <laughs> and funny. Like I'll, I'll just like, let them know that like they can't get away with that with me. Um, you know, or if they do like come in and they're like blowing things up and throwing papers around and huffing and puffing, I'm just going to take a moment to like laugh about how ridiculous this is, how inappropriate it was. And I quickly learned by being scolded by one of my Christian. <laughs> I was going to say that, uh, that doesn't like, seem like, you know, like it, it's like, we're doing things for the Lord, not for men. Like right. we need to love on these people. Like the reason a lot of these people and it, myself included at times are responding in such like crazy eccentric ways is because like others continue to feed into that frustration, that insecurity. It's, it's like, when can love and grace and, you know, relationships, relationality, it's not a word, but like, when can that kind of stuff win out? Yeah. And that's really been like on my heart in the last, you know, year or two is yeah. coming out of the system and taking a step back and then going through this incredible experience in the last year of, of, of the TV show. It's like, is there hope for the Christian in Hollywood? And, um, you know, and what, and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And, and does that mean I, is that mean I'm there if I can figure that out? I don't know. It's, there's a lot of things, but what I'm doing, what I am realizing is that in any industry, Hollywood, you know, business, the market, whatever it might be, you're going to find people that are hurting and find people that are longing for something more. Yeah. And as Christians, we just need to look around us. It's not about, it doesn't have to be in the big, f sexy, flamboyant industries, but it's like where, who's hurting, what, what, do, do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that are sleeping out in the cold You know, this winter? Who's, who's struggling through something? Who in your family needs a little love and encouragement? Like, that's the big stuff for me that's really hitting home that like God didn't call us to really save the world. Right. But it's like, what can you do on small scales? Cause I want to think about the world and think about Syria and I think about the presidential campaigns and I think about terrorism and drugs and tra sex trafficking and children. I, I just like, I just want to go to sleep. You know, yeah. I just like want to like, drink a whole bottle of wine and like watch, <laughs> you know, watch a Pixar movie. And instead it's, I don't think God calls us right now for that. It's, yeah. you know, where can you affect your local community and those that you have been placed around you that you love, like, but your friends and your family, like, let's figure out, let's, let's solve those little small things. And I think there can be a ripple effect that can transcend and change the world. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that I've said on the show many times is that, that it, it's astounding to me. And I'm sure you've encountered this as well in, in this city, uh, especially, but it's a general belief as well that, that Christianity is very easy, that, that it's a crutch and that it's just, uh, it just makes you get, it just helps you get through life easier. And that's all it is. And, you know, as, and as I've gotten older, I just, I find myself thinking, what are you talking about? This is incredibly difficult. It's, you know, you're going to fail every day. Uh, and it's holding your, like, we all have a natural, like your, your, your instinct to, if somebody comes in very angry or if somebody snaps at you, I'm going to snap right back. That is human instinct. It is completely understandable, often even just, uh, justifiable, mm -hmm. but we're actually called to be 
better than that, better than what is naturally, what is what our natural instinct is. And that's remarkably difficult. And I know plenty of people that would say, well, you shouldn't go against your natural instinct um, in any number of ways, whether it be to have sex with a bunch of women or to pop off at somebody that, that comes at you or whatever. Uh, but that's what it actually looks like. And, and it could also be that, you know, the, I think the nat, maybe, maybe I'm, this might be a little lofty and I might be incorrect, but I feel like the natural instinct when looking at these huge events is to be, I know that for myself, I get angry, I get frustrated and those are perfectly, those are fine, uh, reactions, but then you have to turn that reaction into some kind of action. Um, as opposed to simply posting something on Twitter that shows that you're on the right side of history, quote unquote, or that you've got the right opinion. And it's like, okay, there, I have the right opinion and now I can move on. No, you have to actually take the next step. And maybe the next step is to do something in a political campaign or it's okay. Or it's the acknowledgement for me, the acknowledgement, I'm not going to make a huge difference in this aspect, but I can relate to somebody one-on-one and yes, that might not be very, sexy, as you say, that might not be very lofty, but it makes a big difference to this one person. And it makes a big difference to me. And that is often how Jesus acted. Yes, he more than anybody uh, had the opportunity and the ability to enact change on a huge scale all the time. But he very seldom spoke to huge throngs of people he did, but not always. and he never, I don't think he, he would always pick that over dealing with one person individually. Right. right. And so, you know, choosing that, I guess a lot of it comes down to picking your battles as well, which can be a very difficult thing to, to figure out. But, um, and along these lines, um, and we'll, we'll move into, into survivor now. Um, you know, one thing that, that, so are, are you a survivor fan or were you a recruit? Sorry to use the term, but uh, I was, I was a fan. Okay. Um, I initially, I was working at CAA, which is the largest talents agency in, in probably the world. I mean, we wrapped anyone that you can possibly think of. That's mm-hmm. an A-list star. And I was working for a boss who'd been there for 30 years. And so I was plugged into pretty much everything that he was working on all the actors and movies and production companies and studios. And it was a really great, I came right there straight out of grad school. And it was a kind of a great graduate 2.0 or in my case 3.0 sort of experience. Um, and while I was there, one of the things I like to do is we talk about the one-on-one and the relationals. I realized like I, at times I was really miserable there because here I am a guy who's, again, used to play in the NFL. I, I, I wore that like a badge of honor because I had the really difficult and rough experiences there. And I appreciate sort of the, the refining process of that whole thing. So I came out and I'm like, look, I'm ready for some big things. Let's make some action happen. And now here I am sitting at a desk for nine hours a day, again, getting coffee and making sure soup is warm. And I realized like, I don't want to be here. And there were other people surrounding me that were a lot younger and were had, you know, didn't really have necessarily the life experience around me who were also were pr- quite miserable. And I was mm-hmm. like, how can I help you guys get out of here and, and continue, continue on with your careers? And so I started a job ops list, which is now, maybe the largest private listserv in Hollywood about helping people find that transitional thing. Hmm. And for me, it was like that it became more relational, became more that one-on-one. And, um, while I was working at CAA, I was helping a friend get a job internally. She wanted to come work at CAA. She was external, but trying to get in internal. And I happened to, for whatever reason, look at her resume. I never do this. People who are hiring internally, I always just forward resumes on. Here you go. Here you go. Here, take a look at this person. I don't know if they're good or not. I happened to double click it and open it up and, and saw that she was a casting agent at Survivor. Mm. And it was a show that I I kind of got onto in the first couple seasons yeah. and then sort of fell off as I went through college and 
I never really kind of got back on it throughout the NFL. But then once I kind of came out of the NFL and started coming back into Hollywood, it was like, I remember that old show and I really loved it. And I just, I never missed an episode. And I was that dorky kid that like nobody, like nobody watched the survivor anymore. People were on a newer, bigger, better things. And here I am like, no, no, it's really cool. It's still a great, like it's still, I think the best editing, the best storytelling out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the, you know, it was the, the granddaddy of them all. It was the one that kind of kicked off everything. And I was like, look, it's like the only one left now like millionaires gone american idols gone yeah survivors still hanging out there. yeah for sure and i hit her up and i was like look i saw you you used to work in casting i'll get you a job at ca if you help me get on survivor ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and she's like well actually i'll be there at ca tonight for a screening if you want to meet up and, and and talk we sat there standing in the elevator um right in front of the elevator entrance for like two hours just standing talking this girl's now one of my good friends and she's like you should make a tape i'm like i don't want to make a tape like i'm not good at things i'm not good at like mm-hmm. i'll find i'll sit back and wait and wait and wait and find out what i'm good at and then i'll like try to make a career out of it like where it's film or football and i was like i'm not gonna make a tape and then get told no i've been told no enough in my time my life like right now and she's like well you should make a tape a couple of my buddies came over and they're like we should make a tape let's just try let's see what happens we made a tape and within a few hours i got a phone call um Hmm. And they're like, we, you know, we've always wanted somebody who's kind of like an agenty type kid. I'm like, I'm not an agent. I'm like, no, but you know the system. Yeah. And so I was, um, I went through the whole fi- finals week. I met Jeff. I met the producers. I slept in uh, in a hotel without being able to say a single word to anybody else. All for season 26, which is fans versus favorites. Caramoan, mm-hmm. season the Cochran one. And I was cast on the show and with about a, a week until they left to depart to the Philippines. I got a call and they're like, we, we swapped you out with somebody else. Thanks. Talk to hmm. you later. And it was like heartbreaking again. I was like, you know, screw this. I don't need this in my life. This is yeah. stupid survivors. This is the NFL all over again. I'm done with this. And um, right around season 29, I got a phone call back. My my casting associate, kind of your agenty guy who yeah. pitches up to the head of, of casting, Lynn Spillman, he had moved on and started working for Mark Burnett, who was the producer who originally created Survivor and went on to tons of fame and fortune. He's one of the big moguls in town now. So I was like, I'm never going to get another chance on the show because the guy who knew me the best and pitched me to Lynn, he's working. He's not even, I mean, he's still within the the family, so to speak, but he's not working on the show. But his, another girl kind of moved up into his position and she was like, I remember you and we had some great conversations. And she's like, I'd like to see if you want to get back on the show. And I'm like, you know what? If y'all want me, you know where to find me. Click. Like, it was kind of one of those things. She's like, well, if you want that us, a, you that know where to find That is a very us. common uh, story that a lot of survivors, whether they are at being asked to return or it's the first time, which is survivor says, Hey, do you want to do this? And then they say, yes, absolutely. And then survivor says, Oh, okay, well, we'll get back to you. And then, and, or they say, well, we're absolutely going to cast you. And then it drops out at the last minute. That happens a lot. So, um, so yeah, uh, was there, so like how, how much did they pursue you? It sounds like quite a bit if, if you were, uh, standoffish. A little bit. I mean, I was just more, I was more like, I didn't want to get my heart broken again because I really yeah. wanted to be on the show. I thought it was going to be on that show. I started preparing as if I was going to go to the Philippines and then all of a sudden it was done. And I just, I, it's, it was, it's disrespectful. It's the way Hollywood had been treating me for a bit. It's the way obviously the NFL had treated me for a long time. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I don't got time for this. I, I, I'll do so. I'll work, work on other things. I'll focus on other things. And, um, they call me and they're like, Hey, we're going to do a season 29 blood versus water. Do you have anybody in your family who might want to be on the show? And my dad has three little brothers, half brothers under the age of, um, the time it was like under the age of 12. And, uh, my sister was pregnant and my wife was like, you know, I, I don't ever foresee myself doing survivor. It's a yeah. little too crazy for me, but 
you know, maybe we can continue the conversation. And so I hit them back. I'm like, well, potentially my wife might be available. They said to send some pictures. They thought she was pretty. They thought could be good. And I'm like, well, great. Let me know what I need to do as far as a film is concerned, a mm -hmm. tape. Because I'm only used to doing this by myself. Yeah. Do you need us to like riff off each other, to argue, to be in love? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you, because they want to paint you and sort of like, right. you know, your strengths, but also like, this is the, the, the lovely couple. This is the couple that's about to break up. This is right. the father and son who hate each other, whatever it might be. And they never got back to me. And I was like, you know, I'm done with it. Like, they, they, they've, they played with me for too long. Yeah. And they called me up about four months later. And they're like, where was your tape? And I'm like, you guys never got back to me about the details of a tape. And they're like, do you want this? And I'm like, well, do you want me? And it was like, yeah. sort of like we looked at each other and squinted and like both raised our fists and we're like, all right, fine. And she, and she was like, look, we're casting season 30. It's all newbies, all singles. Why don't you make two more tapes? And so I made more tapes. And I, all in all, the two times I applied, I made four tapes over the course of three years. Although I really was really pretty much like I made my tapes and a week later I was in finals both times. Yeah. And then I did finals, was done. I felt really, really good about it and was off and up by Nova Scotia on a cruise. And I got a phone call, a voicemail. And they're like, where have you been? I'm like, I'm international waters. I got no cell service, no AT&T out here. And they're like, well, we thought you were ignoring us, but you know, we left voicemails for you to call us. Just want to let you know you're on the show. And a few weeks later, I was on a plane out to Miami and then off to Nicaragua. And, and I had no idea what to do. I mean, I... I was a fan of the show. I liked it, but like I'd watch the episodes and I'd turn it off and I'd go do something else. Like yeah. I didn't know that there were forums and blogs and podcasts and websites that were dedicated to discussing like edits and heroes versus villains and you know, like nuances and watching the show. And now of course I can see all those things very clearly, Right. but I didn't realize that like, I was going to be going up against people who like lived and breathed that. And now are contestants on the show. So I yeah. was at times a little bit out of my element, but for me it was like, okay, but what am I good at? Like it's relational. Like let's yeah. be, let's be the steady rock. Let's be the guy who kind of like can sit back and connect with everybody and figure out ways to get into their lives, to have them complain and bitch and moan to you. And then we'll figure out a way to like manipulate that. Yeah. That became my goal. And so you use the word manipulate. Uh, so probably every, I'd say every other season, there does seem to be um, uh, maybe not a theme uh, or, or even a major plot line, but there does seem to be a fair amount of discussion of uh, Christian values. Uh, sometimes people are very overt with it, as, as Mike was on your season. Um, and then other times it seems to be a little bit quieter. And then in seasons like uh, like season 23 where yeah see this is the nerdy in, in, in me coming out sorry uh but you know you had coach and a bunch of and brandon and a bunch of other people like really overtly talking about their faith and you know and i i'm not part of any survivor forums or anything but i will read you know recaps on the av club or something like that and one thing that frequently happens i'm sure you've you might have encountered it uh, as well is there is an attitude of certain types of people when they watch survivor that they think why on earth do these people in reference to the players, why do they think God cares about who wins survivor? Why are they so intent on that? And also these are people who any other day of the week would say that lying and manipulation is wrong. And yet 
they're doing it so willingly. And then you also have people like, uh, I think it was season 22. You had somebody like Matt Elrod who just was feeling very conflicted about how on earth am I going to be a Christian and do the things I'm supposed to be doing. And in season 25, you had Lisa Welch also, um, you know, uh, so going in, knowing that that is sort of what the game is, like, how were you able to square it, um, for yourself? And, and that's, and that's going in, not necessarily sure. even, uh, executing. I mean, that was the big question. I met with some pe- people that were pretty influential in my life. I met with pastors and it was just like, look, how do you do this? How do you love on people and play the game as hard as you possibly can, but then also backstab blindside and basically spit them out. You know, I, I likened it to poker. You know, I, when I go play poker, I want to be the best liar out there. I want right. to be able to, when I play mafia sitting around on a Friday <laughs> night with a bunch of idiot friends, like I want to be the one where I'm like, I'm telling you right now, you're going to regret it. And yeah. then either they do or they don't. And I want them to feel like they regret the decision. Yeah. Um, when you're playing football, like you want, and you're at a tryout, I, I obviously didn't knock a lot of guys in the, in the, in the job based on my position, but like as a kicker and punter, but like, I wanted to be the guy when we went to a tryout that I beat everybody else's butt. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be the best damn guy out here. I'm going to whoop all of you guys right now. Like, how is that? How do I, now, how, how do I do that, but do it in a loving Christian way? Well, probably not by saying damn, but like, <laughs> you know, like let's get out and utilize the gifts and the work that I've put in and then just kick butt. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like Survivor was going to be an extension of that. The most, most of the time I really wanted to connect with people. And you know what you see on the show, first of all, they cast crazy, insane people yes. who, you know, are going to use Jesus and the highs and the lows and in the mids in between. I mean, they're going to use everything. They're going to use hunger and go nuts. They're going to use their, the, their hatred for their father and go nuts. They're going to use whatever they might be. And it's going to, you know, it's going to come out. Um, but for the most part, what you're seeing is only a few minutes of the course of three right. days. And the majority of what you're doing is you're laying around shelter, talking about life and talking about what motivates you, talking about your fears and your frustrations and your despairs. Sometimes it doesn't go that deep, but like real relationships occur out there. And mm-hmm. I think our cast is arguably the closest cast in the history of the show. We've Based gone, on photos and stuff, we've gone on to, to have like, you know, crazy relationships. And it starts again, like in two days, Thursday night, Joe, Mike and Sierra are coming over and spending the night my house down the street and we're going to spend the next week together in like countdown to the finale of season 31. Like these are relationships that will never ever um, dissipate. And yes, they started off like on a beach in Nicaragua with like crazy circumstances. Um, But like, I want everybody to know like the way I ostracize Mike, especially I want Mike to know the way I ostracize him out there after he like did his big slip up at the auction was because I wanted him to quit the game. I wanted everybody else to hate him so that they would vote him out first. Like that doesn't reflect on my my life with Mike now, like my life with Mike and my relationship with him now is very much uplifting. It's building up. It's like talking about the way we should incorporate Jesus into our lives. Does that mean we shout it from the rooftops? Is that maybe a more subtle approach? You know, there's a lot of different ways in which, you know, our relationships from the beach changed from out here. And, um, I know it's hard for the audience to kind of see because they're not really, they're only seeing like handpicked moments that are like the most, uh, explosive, based on what the producers decide. But, um, you know, going forward, that's sort of the attitude I'm going to take. It was very relational out there. It's going to be very relational, um, for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, do you ever find yourself watching a season, uh, where there is somebody that is fairly overtly, uh, Christian and maybe they 
and they seem like super conflicted about the things that they do and or or they're not conflicted about the things that they're doing. Do you ever watch that and just think like, Oh, come on. No, just let it be a game or, or, or anything like that. Yeah. I know. Brandon was a good example. Uh, you brought it up. I mean, he oh, was boy. just a hot mess. The dude was yeah. all over the place. And I mean, he's even doing it still now. Like I, I, I know I've watched Brandon on Facebook. I don't, I've never met him before. I've met his uncle. Um, we've had good talks. He seems like a decent enough guy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was, he's all over the place and he's very much hard on his sleeve. And and sometimes you're like, "Ah," you know, pull back, man. Like you mentioned earlier, like Jesus was not about going out to the masses. Now he did it quite a bit, but when things did happen, it was like, don't tell anybody, like keep this to yourself, you know, step out, go back to your town and keep it quiet. Like your actions, your, your new changed, your changed life will, will be noticed mm-hmm. by people. And I think that's one of our major calls is to not come out and be like, well, Jesus said this and my relationship with God dictates this, but it's like, it's connecting through, it's showing people through action. And I think people yeah. connect to that. Yeah. It's uh, and you know, it's such an interesting thing. And I, I feel like a, a few people on the show, often at the reunion, uh, put it out there in a very interesting way and clearly they've had time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember Lisa who was very, who was very open about her beliefs. Like she had said, she's like, well, I do think that God cares about who wins survivor, but I think she cares. I, I think uh, God cares about who loses survivor mm-hmm. and everybody in between, you know, uh, he cares. It's not like he has a vested interest in who wins because he's rooting for this right. person or whatever. It's he has a vis- vested interest in everybody involved and what kind of relationships are made and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think he cares about who wins Survivor or who loses Survivor. I just right. think he cares about who. Yeah, I think that's that's what God cares about. You know, and winning and losing, it's all great. It's part of our lives. I mean, I lost Survivor. I came in seventh. Um, but like, not bad uh, out of uh, out of twenty, right? Out of 18. 18. A lot of people say the seventh is like second place because that's at the point where like the four and three kind of take Mm. each other out. Whatever. I'm not, that's what other people have said. Um, But I do feel like it was me versus Mike out there for a lot of it. And Mike fortunately was able to spin Carolyn and Sierra against me. And I got no heads up from my boys, Rodney and Will. And it just like, you go out holding on all kinds of secrets. And it's like, that's the way it is. Anyway, I'm not bitter. Um, I'm actually in a good place, but like, uh, what was I saying about all that? It's, it's, I, I, I just think that God, I came out of that experience a loser and yet I'm like forever changed. Yeah. And you know, when I meet God, I'll be like, you know, I'm so thankful. Like, am I thankful for this amazing experience on survivor that changed me forever? Yes. That is way more important to me than like, well, how does losing feel or how does winning, yeah. what, what would have winning would have done? Yeah. Know, I live in California would have burned through a million dollars in like, you know, six yeah. months. So, um, and I don't really care about the fame and fortune and the notoriety of like, well, I was the, I got the title. You can't take that away from me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Who cares about titles? It's all, it's all kind of meaningless, so to speak. And, um, but I do think God cares about, me and there were times i mean, on day eight of the show i was sitting on the edge of the beach the sun went down and when the sun went down i would pray harder than nothing because does that make sense i would pray harder than i would i I never would pray harder when the sun came down because the mosquitoes come out yeah and it temperature drops and you're sleeping on bamboo which i cannot explain to you how miserable it is it's awful and i would just like fight to the lord like keep the sun up longer because now is going to begin like the longest 12 hours of my life. Yeah. And you know, you wanted, I wanted to quit. Like there were times where I wanted to quit, but yet like 
that's the struggle. That's the growth. That's like connecting with the Lord on a beautiful sunset beach in Nicaragua and learn, like realizing you're going to have to spin back around, live in hell for, you know, and that was day nine. Yeah. Think about, I got 30 more days of that. I got a month more of that. And I've already lost, you know, seven or eight pounds. And like, yeah. and I'm dealing with crazy people and I got cameras everywhere and I got producers who are trying to like get to the bottom and manipulate things. Like, it's insane. It ain't easy. And so, you know, like those are the times where like growing with the Lord for me is way more interesting than like coming out of it going like, ah, it was a win or a loss or like I was fan favorite or people thought I was going to win or thought I was going to, yeah. ah, man, forget that. Like it, this is a season of my life. It will disappear. Even for like no. really famous, successful survivors, Joe, for instance, like arguably one of the greatest survivors to ever play the game. One of my very, very best friends, like mm-hmm. it's going to fade for him too. And yeah. I'm more interested in like, not how Joe does this season or did this season or last. I'm more interested in like, what's, what kind of man is Joe going to become? Like, yeah. how does he see his faith? Like, how does he see pride? How does he see humility? How does he see, um, temptation and struggle? Like how are the Christian or in his case, sort of Catholic views, like impacting his daily life? That's what's way more fascinating to me and because I feel like that's what Christ would be more interested in. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a fascinating show to watch and for people that maybe not totally understand it, uh, you know, it's not just there. Yes, there's manipulation and stuff like, but the film fan in me, and this is a show that speaks very, very obviously it is totally comfortable talking about heroes and villains. There's a whole season devoted to that. Um, so clearly the, the producers aren't opposed to narratives. They're not opposed to certain character types and that sort of thing. But the film lover in me watches it and I just see people in an extreme circumstance and when you're not eating, when you're not sleeping, the an argument could be made that the real you comes out or at least a, yeah. raw, a much more raw version of you comes out. And you can find, and it can be a tremendously empowering experience or a tremendously humbling experience. I, you know, you read interviews or listen to interviews with people who look back and think, wow, I, I realize just how bad a person I can be and when the chips are down and that is not, nobody wants to be faced with that, but you realize that, okay, well that, like you said, that was a season of my life and I've learned a lot from it. And now I have to try to implement that learning. Um, you know, one of the things that I like quite a bit about when Matt, Matt Elrod was on those, the first redemption Island and he went out and got voted out by Boston Rob and spent a lot of time by himself. And, you know, he was just praying all the way through it. Like he said, it got him like a lot closer to God. And what's interesting is there's this other, there's a, a for life of me, I don't remember her name. Shoot. Julie, I believe, but she was uh, this older woman who, um, had mentioned that his faith in his sure. even more adverse circumstances than right. everybody else inspired her. She, her. Yeah. like she had come there to try to win money so she could yeah. go back home and like, keep her house or something Mm -hmm. like that. And now she, and even though she got voted out and wasn't going to win that money, she came away feeling optimistic and excited to like engage with God and, and to, um, implement that faith in her life, uh, even in going home into, into even more adversity. And so, you know, to me, that's what the opportunity of survivor can be for a Christian, you know, and you get somebody like yourself, like Mike, who, the odds were against him all the time. And yet he found it in him to, you know, win a bunch of immunities and make it all the way to the end, even though everybody was gunning for him, you know, and in the midst still winds up 
you know, there's that really powerful moment uh, with Shireen and uh, that she cites him as being, you know, a protector and, and that sort of thing. And even in the midst of being the outsider who has his own things to worry about, he still did the right thing, uh, as people would say. And I don't know, it's it. That to me is what's great about Survivor. There's also a little strategy involved in doing the right thing. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, We can go into that another time. Well, there's always strategy in everything. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, As far as the edit is concerned, yes, it is. I mean, look, Middle America is all about, you know, the Bible Bell and all that. that, They're all about Survivor. So Mm -hmm. it's, do the producers actually care about Jesus? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But does a lot of, a lot of America do? Yes. So it's important that they yeah. retain those roots they and make keep sure some that, like, that faith there. comes in there. Yeah. You know, it's, there are tons of scenes. There are thousands of scenes that, have, oh, that happen over the course of three days that they could utilize throughout their 18 minutes of actual scene footage mm-hmm. on a, a single episode. You know, so they're going to be very strategic about the ones they pick. That's going to show the show in the best light. It's going to show the people they cast in the best light. It's going to yeah. show the, the heroes and the villains. Like you said, um, got to keep the show on the air. Got to keep people interested. Yeah. Um, being being big and energetic and exciting and crazy and insane and nuts and and weird it's like it's good tv yeah. um that was one of the lessons that i learned in, in watching our season is that like good tv wins yeah for good or ill it wins um and so we do need to wrap up we got a, a hard out here as they say and so um i will ask you the question that i ask uh, all of all of my guests um if you knew somebody who is who is a Christian and they're looking to get into the entertainment industry, um, what advice would you give them? Oh, I don't know why being a Christian matters. You know, Ooh. whether whether you want to be, whether, I mean, how do you get in the entertainment industry, regardless of being a Christian or not? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, the, the Christian, the Christianity sect of the, of the enter, entertainment industry is very very interesting to me mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that wield it like a sword i'm gonna use this as a way to get in Mm -hmm. you know i come up to the big christian producer who's the actually outspoken and you know we vetted him out like he's actually like a legit christian you know and somebody comes up and runs into him at church it's like oh yeah i've been coming here for months when they've been there for two days and they're like i want to work in you know like is this making sense like yeah people hollywood draws interesting great people whack jobs creatives everything in between and those that are successful that are also christians keep it very hidden i found Mm -hmm. at times there are very few that are outspoken um and even amongst themselves even amongst christians it's still a very small sect that doesn't reach out much why because they don't want to be seen as um as different in you know in hollywood being a christian is a little bit different different not received it's received differently. Yeah. Um, but also like being taken advantage of. Cause if you lay your heart out in the line and go to bat for somebody who says they're a Christian and you feel like you got the connection and they, they end up blowing it um, and, you know, potentially hurting your career or, you know, putting your email out there, you know, like whatever it might be, it can, it can really get muddy. So I think that, yeah. you know, for the most part, actors and directors, successful producers tend to be very quiet about it. So I'd say like, forget walking around acting like you're a Christian. Um, I mean, of course you want to act like, but saying it and preaching about it yeah. and trying to find inroads there. What I say is like, go to church and network like crazy, mm. not at church, but like 
go to church, pray, read your Bible, and then get out and hit the town. Yeah. Take drinks with everybody. Have lunches with everyone. Get coffee with whoever you can. Get an internship. Get your foot in the door. And you got to work your butt off. It's yeah. a difficult, miserable, often place to, to live. But if you can get in and rise up and find your niche, it can be a fantastic ride, especially if you love storytelling and business and, yeah. and this sort of experience. So, um, you know, work on you, work on the Christian side of you and the privacy and, and, and the beauty of your own community and your own fellowship and your family. But, you know, figure out a way to get in yeah. and then start to be relational with people. So along those lines, and this will be the, the last question and maybe a, a somewhat complex one, um, to briefly go back to Survivor, because you said something that struck me, and I, and I wanted to end on this. Um, so you, you were talking about your situation with, with Carolyn and, and, and yeah. the other people, the, the people in your alliance that you trusted, and that uh, they, they turned on you, and that sort of thing. And, but now you have a very good relationship with, with all of those yeah. people. Uh, so obviously... Regardless of whether it is a game or not, it is still a game of manipulation and deceit, and you're going to get emotionally wrapped up in these people, and then they betray you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so forgiveness has to be a big has to play a big role. So, how how have you gone about forgiving these people, and then also seeking forgiveness from the people that you might have screwed over? I like, mean, it, it happened the second... I First of all, I didn't screw any anybody over in the show, <laughs> and I was ready to. I mean, I waited 32 days to stab Carolyn in the back. Yeah. And it was coming, but she won immunity that episode that I went home, and she flipped on me, and good for her. I was coming for her. Um, so I, I slept really well with a great, easy, clear conscience. But the second Jeff snuffed my torch, I was I forgave everybody. It was a game. Okay. They got me. They got me before I could get them. It's mm-hmm. fine. Good for them. And I got to go home and sleep in a bed and there's air conditioning. I got to eat food. I mean, it was insane. I was like, why didn't I get voted out earlier? It was yeah. such like a beautiful, ponderosa, week-long experience of just being out there in Nicaragua. Um, funny enough, Carolyn actually really struggled with the fact that I didn't vote for her to win the game. And she mm-hmm. didn't know about that until the night Jeff read the results of the finale. Yeah. And we had to work through that. We had to work through that for um, a few a few a few many weeks actually and her and i were extraordinarily close on the island um but you know i at the end of the day i just felt like she made one of the best moves in the game but it wasn't the best move at the right time in order to win and for me like i needed to go with somebody who i felt deserved to win the game yeah um so you know i had to be really slow to speak with her because she was quite upset and um rodney was very upset not with me but with mike uh, yeah. and and held on to that bitterness and anger for a good month or two. And they're now in an incredible place. So yeah. there's a lot of growth that's gone on. And I think there's been some good examples of like people who have been patient and people who have been good listeners and people who have been, who have reached out myself, Max and Mike have tried to do a, a, a just a, uh, a solid job of, of being available yeah. to those who are going through tough times because survivor, like I said, casts crazy people on purpose uh, they want to make good TV. Yeah. And that's always been my thing was like, I may not be good TV, but like we're going to make relationships for a lifetime. Yeah. So, um, did I have much forgiving, forgiving you to do? Not really. Cause it's like, they got me. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost a lot of football games in my life. It's like, they got us. What yeah. can we do? We could just 
strap our helmet on and go back out to practice. No. Um, but I did find that there were a couple of people that had some issues with me and for me, like being patient and being loving and just like being slow to speak, yeah. quick to listen has been a really good, uh, a really good shield and sword to kind of work through those things. Yeah. And often, you know, not not that you necessarily felt that the, that you needed, you know, forgiveness or something like that. But being in a position to accept forgiveness from somebody else uh, can also be a, a remarkably difficult thing, especially if you feel like, well, wait a second, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. Um, yeah, it can be it can be a very difficult uh, aspect of all yeah. of this. But ultimately, forgiveness, both giving and receiving, is a, a big part of of this faith and it's uh, one could say it's the beautiful part of this faith that uh, sort of separates it from the others sure so um so i think we will go ahead and leave it there um let's leave where, it where can you f- uh, be found online oh uh i'm on twitter and instagram i don't post much guys but when i do i try to make it interesting uh at the t freddy um i'm on facebook you can follow me at facebook just at tyler Fredrickson. i post there a little bit more mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean that's. Right. Who are you, uh, real quick this yep. season? Who are you rooting for, in general, and then who are you rooting for that is left? Well, it's kind of fun, like doing this whole like survivor running around, uh, like this kind of postseason charity stuff that we did, mm-hmm. World Whirlwind Tour. I got to know about half the cast of season thirty-two, and yeah. it, it's been really fun to watch the people that I know. So I've been rooting for Jeremy and Spencer and Keith for quite a while because right. they're they're buddies of mine. Um, I think Jeremy might be. I think Jeremy and Spencer are going to be a little scary here toward the end. I think they're going to go far. Yeah. So and I don't know anything. I actually stayed away from everything. There are people that I know who know everything. I mean, within mm-hmm. months ago, they were like, "I know the winners," and I I, I even told Joe, "I don't want to know." I, like, last week, I'm watching Joe faint. I'm like texting, I'm "Like, dude, no way this happened months ago. I didn't know." Yeah. I hung out with them all summer. So I, I think those two are going to be going to be interesting to watch. Okay. Yeah. It's been a good season. Been a great season. Maybe mm-hmm. one of the best. It's been good. So, uh, so listeners check it out. CBS.com. They're not a sponsor. Um, but yeah. And, uh, if you have any, uh, questions for me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com, you can also uh, comment on the post for this episode. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can also like us on Facebook. I think that is about it. I do not yet know what we're going to be talking about next week. So, uh, just bear with us. Uh, in the meantime, Tyler, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time. It's Ty and Ty signing off. <laughs> <laughs>